0: Welcome to the Science of Psychotherapy podcast with your hosts, Richard Hill and Matthew Darlitz.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. My name is Matthew Darlitz and I do a bunch of stuff here at the Science of Psychotherapy and another person who does just as much stuff is Richard Hill. Oh look, changing it up. I just, I just thought it would make a change
0: there. Yes, everybody, everybody's now got their novel experience. Fantastic. So, so my bunch <laughs> of stuff uh, has in, has involved the work, particularly with the magazine, mm-hmm. and of course, remember, everybody is uh, as part of your membership, uh, you get the magazine, but you're also able to uh, utilise the academy to get education points for yep. the reading that you've done of the magazine because we create little short courses about that. Now, we know that there are people who love the the magazine, love the, the, the concept of it, but they don't necessarily want to join as yet, they don't realise the benefits. What is wrong mm-hmm. with you? But uh, <laughs> but we do have uh, an open membership now, uh, an open access membership, where you're able to get the last month's magazine and you're able to read that and look that and yeah. see the values. Unfortunately, yeah. you can't get the, the, the uh, certificates for reading it uh, unless you're a member. But we really want you in there because there's some... Fabulous articles. Even I'm going, how did I get that article? Uh, (laughs) You know, it's really
1: good. um, So I want people to to do that. Some people uh, look at the Academy in in different sorts of ways. Some see it as a a monthly magazine, which is really cool. Um, Some as, you know, getting CEU points. Uh, For myself, I see this as a vast archive that we've been going at for almost a decade now um, of information that you can pick and choose uh, whatever you're interested at the moment, if you need to, maybe you've got a client coming up that has a particular psychopathology, you wanna dig into that, you jump into the Academy's archive, and you find detailed information about that particular problem that you are going to be facing. So that's the way I I look at the the whole thing. And uh, like Richard said, we would really appreciate uh, you being on board with us. Uh, we think it's a marvellous resource. Of course, we're terribly biased,
0: which we do <laughs> anyway. Heaps of stuff, but we can not go on on about that any longer. We now have to go on about our uh, our good friends who we're going to be visiting today. We're in America. And we're in Singapore.
1: Now this is something that uh, is a bit new for you Matt. That's right yeah so these are um, these are friends of yours and we do we will have another plug for the magazine. We've got an article coming up at the end of the year with these two guests so please look out for that.
0: So we have Mike Denninger and uh, an old friend of mine, Joachim Lee, from Singapore, who came all the way to Australia to do my mirroring hands workshop several years ago. He has linked up and found, just as he found me, he found Mike Denninger, who does this wonderful process called multi-channel eye movement integration. Yes, it has relationships to things like EMDR and EMI, which is for those of the NLP strain. And he's uh, written a fabulous book last year, which is great. He's taken the trouble to do that. We've looked at the book, but we want to talk to him and Joaquim about what this process is, what its effectiveness is, and what it means to us as psychotherapists. So let's go to the West Coast of America and to the wonderful land of
1: Singapore. Mike and Joachim, welcome to the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. It's so great to see you both.
2: Well, thank you very much, Matthew and Richard. It's nice to meet you as well. Um, yeah. Delighted to be here. Yeah, and Joachim, you're in here from Singapore. So, and, and uh,
0: having, we, we know each other a little bit. So, it's great to see you again. Great to see you again, Richard. And thank you, Matthew, for having us. Uh, it's a great pleasure. We, we, uh, the science of psychotherapy. Uh, we really we wrote uh, a fairly uh, detailed article to say it's not science about the the reduction of things and the mechanizing of things. It's science which is the knowledge of. So we really want to talk to her everywhere uh, that we can, and we've actually loved to bring in cross-cultural and different cultural works. And so we're doing we're doing two for one here, which is which is fantastic. <laughs> but but Mike, you're you're um, uh, really uh, I know you're a student and now a trainer. But mm-hmm. this fabulous process, the multi-channel eye movement integration, you've been developing this and uh, got some great material about it, training and books. But I think a lot of people, it might be something new uh, in some of our audience. Uh, so I'd love you just to give us a bit of a background, where it came from, what uh, what drew you into this, because I know there's there's quite a story behind all this.
2: <laughs> there is quite a story, but I'll give you the short version. Uh, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I, I was a university administrator for half of my life. And when I left that, after I had a tumble in the trauma Trauma barrel myself, um, came out of it on the other end and changed careers. So I went back to school, got a master's in counseling, and started a private practice specializing in trauma. And um, I was drawn immediately to a training center that was near where I lived in the DC area, Washington, DC, um, run by Ron Klein. And he was an, an NLP trainer of some of some renown, I would think. Um, and I took all my training in NLP from him, and that kind of guided my career towards um, a, a different kind of therapy than I had learned in school. One of the things that I learned in 2002 from Ron was eye movement integration. And that's a specifically an, an eye movement technique that was developed by Steve and Connie Ray Andreas shortly after Shapiro introduced EMDR. and it was kind of a it was kind of like almost like a backlash to EMDR because there was controversy at the time um, about whether EMDR was NLP based or not. Um, Francine Shapiro actually took some training in NLP and knew about the structure of experience model and all of that. So I took the uh, EMI training and started using it myself, and I was I was just amazed by how successful and fast and uh, durable it was in terms of client outcomes. The only problem with that was there was no written documentation for EMI. The Andreas, Steve did a, a shocking video uh, at the Ericksonian conference, I think, And uh, you can still get that video from uh, their operation, uh, Real People Press, I think it's called, dot com. Um, And they produced, Stephen Connery and Andreas produced a three-page paper, and that was it, with procedures about how to do EMI. Um, When I started using it, and then I started training some folks in it, and I eventually got uh, EMI certification through Ron Klein's operation, and that was in 2008. So at that time, the people that I was training were telling me, you know, they, they were reluctant to use it because it didn't have written procedures. And secondly, they couldn't understand it because there was so much NLP involved in EMI they'd have to go and get NLP courses before they could take EMI. So what I started to do and have done since 2008 is to embellish EMI into something bigger than it originally was. So I developed a, a protocol, developed a, a, a theoretical model for it using NLP's structure of experience model as the basis. And then, um, develop procedures and um, assessments and things that therapists are very comfortable with, but uh, NLP doesn't necessarily provide. So that culminated last year in 2021 in the publication of the book, Multi-Channel Eye Movement Integration. And since that time, I've been promoting it primarily through my website, and as a trainer at the Arizona Trauma Institute. That's just north of where I am in Tucson. Um, we've done two or three live trainings now, and it's also been uh, videotaped and made into an on-demand webinar. Uh, so multi-channel eye movement integration, what I call MIMI, um, is a soup to nuts uh, approach to PTSD and trauma. And it's written specifically with PTSD in mind, but it's applicable to a a variety of other problems like phobias and just places where people are stuck. What some people would call little T trauma. Now that I have uh, established a relationship with Joe Kim in Singapore, Joe Kim has become a good friend. He uh, contacted me after finding his way to my website one day. And we struck up a conversation and he eventually uh, took the live training with me um, for a practitioner level and then was very anxious to become a trainer himself. So we worked together individually and now he's a licensed trainer specifically for the uh, South Asia region uh, of the world. And he's going great guns with that. So I want to introduce him.
0: Yes, it, it, it's fabulous to to see you again. I mean, uh, uh, Joe Kim, or Kim. Everyone calls you whatever we want. Uh, <laughs> you came out to Australia. Did my mirroring hands. Training. Yes. So uh, this this idea of of getting um, responses and and activities is something from people from procedures and practices, something you're you're, you're well used to. And you do quite a lot of work. Your your uh, efforts in Singapore are extensive. I see you sponsoring uh, trainings and also attending a lot of a lot of uh, conferences of things. What is the the going on in Singapore at the moment, both with uh, Memi and also with your broader therapeutic
3: work. Oh, thank you, Ma, Richard. Uh, when Singapore, one of the things that we've been discovering a lot is many people are going through a lot of traumas, big T's, small T's, and, and the modality in Singapore has been people hungry for outcomes and, and, and it's like effective, cheap, um, not so costly outcomes. So when I learned many and also my, my mind boggling. like, wow, it's so simple and so effective. So when I did the research on the eye movement, I found so much evidence for effectiveness. So that's when I decided to tell Mike, I would like to be a trainer, I'd like to, text, to spread uh, MAMI in South Asia. So in Singapore, I've been doing it, um, many trainings. And if I can not mind sharing one, one story that actually convinced me completely about MAMI. Um, after doing Mike's training, um, I was enthusiastic on, to use it that's me, right? I like to have uh, applications. And just at that moment, I had a call from a minister. I uh, said, I have this woman who's flying from the US um, and she has a trauma. Can you see her? And said, sure. I mean, trauma was, I mean, my naive mind. So she came and when she, she came after uh, clearing out the quarantine from COVID, she saw me. And her features, she was literally, what we call was a state of a uh, fight, freeze, uh, the uh, the activational limbic system. So I quickly sat her down and I just told her, "Give me quickly the reader's digest version." What happened? What what is it that I can help you with? And she told me her baby was murdered. And for my for my mind straight away was okay. I'm a trained psychotherapist. Should I do psychotherapy? Should I do the traditional um, trauma work? What do I do? Then I said, "No, let's do Mammy because I know the science behind mammy, How effective it is, and." Got her to be secure, safe, and cut in a room, and we did a mammy, and within 40, 30 minutes, her. Literally, she became a different person, and her words to me was. A huge cloud has been lifted from my mind. I can grieve now, and we took just another two sessions to work through the grief, and she's doing well. And I mean, I was ever since that experience, I've told my. I'm going to do a lot of trainings in Miami, train everyone I can, and to share how uh, easy to learn and how effective. And you don't have me, the needs to be costly. So I've gone to Singapore, do trainings. I've done it in Malaysia, and I hope to do one day do it in Australia too.
1: Yeah, so this might be a good um, place now just to touch on maybe some of the, the theoretical aspects and then how does that play out practically, as in what do you actually do?
2: So unlike... Uh <clears throat> Unlike the other eye movement therapies, there's a very specific model for MEmi. Um, it's called the Structure of Experience model, and basically, there are four elements. Every every human experience is made up of four elements. Now, this is uh, this is an adaptation of the NLP model. So, there are four elements that make up every experience. One is thoughts or cognitions. One is feelings, kinesthetic feelings, visceral feelings, emotional feelings. One is uh, context, the who, what, when, and where. And one is sensory information, which is primarily visual information, imagery, that we have related to an experience. Um, Practically speaking, what we do is we define those, we break them down, and we modify them using what are called submodalities in NLP, we just call them modifiers in in MIMI. So if I'm asking someone, um, if I invite someone in and they sit down and I first say to them, you don't have to tell me the details of your trauma. So you can tell me if you absolutely must, but we can go all the way through. And I have a video that I use when I train where I never asked or found out what happened to this woman um, all the way through. But what you do is you say, okay, um, four elements, what are your thoughts about that experience? In many, we don't assume that uh, thoughts are irrational and they need to be changed to rational thoughts. We take them for what they are. They're very often irrational. So someone might say, um, I'm weak in relation to the experience. Just write it down, that's all we do. Then we ask, now there is an image related to that experience. We don't ask, is there an image? We say, there is an image. Tell me about the image. Is it in color or black and white? And those are the submodalities. Is it near or far away? Is it clear or fuzzy? Is it a movie or is this a still photo? And we write that down. This is the pretest. What visceral feelings do you have related to that experience? Well, I've got a knot in my neck. Write that down. And when we write that down, we also test the intensity of it. So we have a little scale we call the intensity scale with that's from zero, no intensity at all to four which, which is the highest intensity. So when I when I have that visceral feeling in my neck, it's a four. And that becomes the baseline for that visceral feeling. Emotional feelings, what emotions do you attach to that? Horror. Okay, horror. And is that a four or is that a three? What score is that? It's a four. And that composes the baseline, the pretest for the four elements in the structure of experience. And then we go to the eye movements. Now there are there are some safety mechanisms involved. We we use a technique called therapeutic dissociation, um, similar to what was called uh, visual kinesthetic dissociation in NLP, right? But um, Ron Klein, my teacher, <clears throat> really popularized therapeutic dissociation. Where you have the client in front of you, and you tell them to project an image of that experience, all the way over there, modulation in my voice, all the way over there on the wall. You're here in the present. I use gestures. You're here in the present. That experience is in the past. Um, And the other safety mechanism is anchoring a resource, anchoring a resource state. So we ask the person, um, if that Emotional word that you attached to the experience was horror. Give me an opposite word to horror. And she might say, um, competent or peaceful. And we revivify an old experience. All right, I want you to think about a time when you were completely peaceful and tell me about it. And we use the modifiers again during that, that time. So what is the visual image? Is it in color when you were peaceful, you were in the backyard, you were smelling the grass, you had your feet in the grass and they were tickling your feet? Um, and we revivify it or bring it back to life using hypnotic language. Okay, I want you to drift back in time. I want you to settle into that experience And I want you to be there completely. I want you to see everything you saw then. I want you to feel everything you felt then, feel the grass in your feet and take it to the top. Feel that in every part of you, every muscle, every neuron, every cell, take it all the way to the top. That's right, peaceful, peaceful, peaceful. And by repeating the word, we're anchoring that particular experience as a reciprocal inhibition to the traumatic experience. And then I test it, we take a little break, I say, what did you have for breakfast this morning? Oh, okay, blueberries, I love blueberries. If I say the word peaceful, what happens? And you want the person to say, oh, I can feel those feelings from being back there. So you anchor that resource before you begin the eye movements, and you establish therapeutic dissociation. And then you do the eye movements. And after the first set of eye movements, you retest. Okay, look out there at that experience now and tell me, is it the same or different? I won't coach you, Is it just tell me, same or different? Well, it's different. How is it different? And I I don't say how it might be different. She might say, It's the image is farther away. Ah, farther away. Is that better or worse? Well, it's better. Oh, that's great. What score would you give it now? Because the intensity of that image was a four when we started out. And now you say it's better. What score would you give it now? So over, and there are only four eye movement sets in MEMI. It goes very fast. It's not like other eye movement therapies where you're going at it for 15, 16, 17 sets. Um, I think Joe Kim would probably agree that it's often, you know, you're done after two or three sets and you don't it's have three to- Is there
1: anything else happening apart from the eye movement? So you're not repeating words or you're not imagining something? Is it just the eye movement?
2: I'm I'm glad you asked that, Matt, because yes, there is another element. And this is what puts many apart from the other eye movement therapies. So we use um, metaphors. We use embedded commands. We use visual, spatial, and temporal reframes while we're doing the eye movements. So I might be doing an eye movement where I say, okay, and now we're gonna do a big circle right here in the center encompassing everything, a metaphor. And it's getting smaller and smaller and smaller, shrinking it down to the size of a pea. And you may find that your thoughts about this will change. Okay, so, and there are, I mean, there are some prescribed in the protocol, but Practitioners are free to make up their own, of course. Uh, so yes, there's there's a um, there is a second. It's almost like there's it's a five D model. I mean, there's there's the visual, there's the eye movement, there's the split awareness between the experience and the present. There's the anchoring of a resource to keep them comfortable, and there's also um, the uh, linguistic input about the metaphors and
0: the um the commands well i mean and this is of course a terrific idea i mean we talk a lot about the the nature of looking at things as a complex system there's a lot of things going on and you don't know which part of the bear you you can poke so just poking around and allowing the client to 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 find the response and to find the 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 interaction uh and one thing interesting, Mike, you might uh, you might uh, appreciate. I was um, I'm a great I'm a great exponent of the fact that so many of the therapies already came from us. I mean, even uh, Francine Shapiro, she found that it was it was looking into the water and finding her eyes moving. And I was doing a mirroring hands uh, uh, just group experience in Portugal, and I looked uh, to one of the participants at the back, and his eyes were moving. In in the back and forward motion under his eyelids, he'd closed his eyes, but they were moving. And I spoke to him afterwards and I said, "What what was going on?" And he said, "Well, I I was thinking about a trauma uh, that I'd had." And I said, "And and how do you feel about it now?" And he said, "It actually, I'm I'm not worried about it now." So it was a it was a very simple experience because it was just a group sort of generalized thing, but that spontaneous natural. Uh, engagement with this process of eye movement that seems to be able to uh, uh, either interfere with the blocks or open up the connections. I, uh, we don't know exactly,
2: do we? No, we don't. And there is there is some recent research, but where they have come so far is to say that eye movements are definitely um, changing the limbic system some way. Mm. That's as much as they can say right now, mm. uh, as far as I've read anyway. Um, and the other thing about this is that, um, you know, MEMI is, I consider it organic and limbic and uh, not cognitive or behavioral. It's not cognitive because the cognitions change automatically after the sensory and the kinesthetic reactions have diminished. So somebody who says um, I'm weak in the beginning, and this is this is an actual client at the end said it's just an unfortunate thing that happened.
0: Yeah. So those cognitive changes are, are, are cascading um, elements that. That keep that emerge as the, after yeah after the process, and I mean, I always wonder the the you know the proximity of the orbital frontal cortex, which is you know to do with errors and, and messes, and and the 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 direct the very close connection of the limbic, particularly the amygdala, to that orbital and early prefrontal cortexes. There's a lot of interesting neurobiology, and over the over the
1: the time, we might uh, yeah, we might might figure it out a bit better. Mm-hmm. I, I can't help but think, uh, you know, there is a memory reconsolidation process happening here um, with the eye movement um, being the juxtaposition um, mm, mm. between, you know, the the old frame and and a new frame that you're bringing in. So, and, and again, we're not really... Uh, well, we, we understand the mechanism of memory reconsolidation, but exactly how the eye movement is interrupting that and, and the, the other... Um, points that you're you're asking the client to focus on um it's not just straight bilateral stimulation or, or or eye movement there's a little bit more to it it's a bit more complex and maybe that has to do with the 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 speed of the therapy i'm i'm not sure mike do you have any ideas about that
2: i do <clears throat> so um uh, the other eye movement therapies basically use bilateral movements yep. Sometimes they use a diagonal bilateral, but it's basically horizontal, about at eye level. Mm-hmm. In Memi, we use the whole visual field, and it's it's not based on the uh, eye, ac- eye accessing position model of NLP, right? Because that's very controversial. However, I do use the whole visual field because I believe that eye movements to different areas do indicate different neuroprocessing processing based on the modalities being activated in the brain. That's my belief.
1: A, so a, so what, brain, brain spotting sort of has a, a little bit of that as well?
2: Well, brain spotting, uh, brain spotting um, looks for a tick, if you will, in the visual yes, a particular spot. Right? Yeah. And, and when it finds a tick, that is uh, believed to be a direct connection into a neurological mishap mm-hmm. of some kind, right? Yeah. um this is not that at all okay this is i believe my experience is that generally speaking right handed people when they are recalling visual information their eyes go up to their left generally speaking when they're constructing visual information their eyes go up to the right auditory out to the right for constructing and auditory um. Uh, Past, if you will, um, or experienced to the left. There's actually a, a doctoral study by Michael Buckner way back in 87 that confirmed those those accessing positions. Mm. There are two other accessing positions in the model, which are kinesthetic and, and internal narrative, but they were never confirmed. And, and tests of that model just kind of stopped because it got so much criticism. But we do have this one study that confirms those. And we have a lot of clinical experience that says that that's true. Because I can often sit with somebody and see their eyes go up to the left and ask them what did they just do? Did they get a picture of what? And they'll tell me, right? It's not perfect. But my take on this whole model thing is that eye movements are organized and systematic. They're purposeful. They're they're connected to a larger neurological system of some kind. And not to take advantage of that is a mistake. So when you're looking for a tick, or you're just doing bilateral movements, you're not taking advantage of the whole organized system. And by doing the eye movements that we have, go to all the corners. There are some basic ones that just are like the EMDR, basic eye movement. There are some triangles there's the circle that I showed you but the the circle and then there's a figure eight are designed to accommodate some of the strategic comments that you make some of the metaphors and the commands and all of that
0: yeah I mean it, it it's quite obviously, quite obvious I mean and and we want to make it we're giving a wonderful sort of broad description, but this is something you need to train in, you need to explore and uh, and you have those wonderful uh uh trainings on your on your program. And we'll have sort of connections to that on the uh, and links to that, which is which is terrific. But I just want to bring Joachim in, Joakim in yeah. here uh, a little bit in the the sense that now when you're in Singapore, you're working uh, in several languages, potentially. Yes. Uh, I mean, certainly English. I know it's very broad there, but you've you've got you know, Singaporean, you've got Malaysian. How how I imagine this has got some kind of uh, uh, benefit when when you're working with people. Uh, is it without language, or uh, certainly there are things. What what are the way you're experiencing it there in this multi language uh, sort of
3: place? Yeah. So that's a beautiful part of it, uh, Richard. Thank you for asking are asking this question. So in Singapore and Malaysia, it's multilingual. There's English, there's Mandarin, there's Malay, there's Tamil, and then the other languages. And one of the universal uh, attributes, I would say strength of many is that I've um, used it in English, Mandarin, in Malay, and, and with basic uh, articulation, ikut karan saya, ikut jari saya, ikut that's in Malay, uh, and you just follow, and it just the goal direct movement of the eyes in the specific uh, peripheral vision of the person it brings that change for them. It's like it's minimal language required. And yet because they want to go, they want to change, the, they do a, a divided consciousness, the terrible dissociation, and they follow it. The outcomes just happens. I mean, that's a beautiful part. It's just organically evolves. I've done recently, I did this with this lady in Indonesia and it was via Zoom. Um, so imagine in Zoom, uh, via Zoom and she's in Indonesia, I'm in mm-hmm. Singapore. And because she can't speak speak English, I was doing in my Malay, she was doing understand from her Indonesian Malay. So mm-hmm. there's a slight difference in the language. Um, guess what? Um, within 30 minutes, because first the pre-talk, everything, 30 minutes, all it took to, to literally de- uh, bring down completely her, her anxiety, her trauma that... I'm going to be uh, found out uh, because um, what happened, the story was that an um, ex-boyfriend has pictures of her in, in compromising positions and in a Islamic country said, I'm gone. And from that trauma to, it's over. It's like, he can do what he wants. I'm not scared. And all he did was just go direct movements, accessing it and minimal language.
0: Yeah, we often say that uh, uh, providing the opportunity and the appropriate circumstances uh, is, is what, the, the the body needs just needs sometimes Correct. and there are so many there's so many there's so few opportunities and so many uh distracting and disrupting and disturbing circumstances that we live in uh it, it is amazing what can be done in very in very short periods of time. I mean, certainly uh, in psychotherapy, uh, uh, our good friend Michael Hoyt and Flavio Canistra talk about brief therapy and talk about the effectiveness of a single therapy. And actually in this month's magazine, we've got uh, uh, an example of three uh, therapeutic emergences uh, over a single therapy uh, that proved to be all the client required. And uh, and it's this, um, I, and I like, Mike, the, the, the fact that there's this persistent feedback and uh, and and reframing and reappraisal of the way you know how does it feel, but without any judgment, without any sort of um, sense of with you, know, you don't even have to hide any sort of judgment like oh it's gone further away oh no that's fine uh, it, it it really is just allowing the client to, to to vary their experience in their own way
2: exactly
1: yeah yeah that's exactly. that's beautiful yeah. now Mike you you. You, you've done a master of counselling. You were taught all of the traditional talk therapy things, you know, that we're all taught. Are you seeing these more somatic um, kind of techniques now um, starting to filter through, you know, our education system? So we're are we seeing therapists sort of coming out more better equipped to do what you're doing?
2: Uh, I wish I could say yes to that, but I don't think it's caught on yet. Um, really i i would often come in and do a lecture at a university but the lecture would be termed as alternative therapy and that is i think mainstream yeah we're still looking at a an an evidence-based model that gets in the way of you know doing some of these uh cutting-edge therapies that that are out there and effective um i i once gave a demonstration i won't say where but I gave a demonstration with a person, a volunteer from the audience who had had a car accident. She was a nurse and uh, desensitized her trauma from that in a very short time. And I was uh, in the afternoon after lunch, I was sitting there just relaxing for a minute and two people came into the room and they were talking about my presentation. (laughs) And one of them said, you know, I was really amazed at, you know, what he was able to do in a short time. And the other person said, yeah, but CB, CBT for me, you know, CBT for me. So there's, you know, yeah. there's there's inroads, but I, I don't think we're there yet. But yeah. I think that uh, the traditional models are really being tested now because um, there, are, or there are therapies that are showing faster and more effective ways of, of resolving trauma. And it's just a
0: matter of working through and understanding it more. And, and it, by not experiencing and not expressing and not and not doing things, we we don't learn anything. Uh, I, I always used to find it amusing that um, Ernie Rossi, uh, when working with Milton Erickson. And uh, uh, they would review things. Ernie was my mentor, so, uh, you know, okay. we, we got to know him very well. And uh, But uh, he would review and uh, write meticulous notes about an Ericsson session and then they would sit down they would discuss it and and Ernie would sit there and say, oh, and I can see here you were using such and such and there you shifted to that and then you, you made this and then you did this and I could see and then you spent that and then there was this. And he'd get to the end of his detailed explanation that he spent several Weeks working on, and Erickson would just turn to him and say, "Yes, yeah, I
3: do."
0: <laughs> and uh, uh, and Rossi said after a while he realized that that at the time Erickson was not uh, uh, cognitively Cognitive. implementing any of these processes. So I could imagine when you're talking about you 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 teach them about the the, the movements and the circles and the and the, the squares and. That, as you're saying, that and even some that they might find themselves inventing, and that that is something that emerges in a responsive sort of interaction with the client. So, so it's not a rigid pattern. Um, I, I, I just want to quickly make sure no one thinks that. So, how variable does it uh, does it feel for you as a practitioner, uh, Mike? And then perhaps uh, what you might have to say, working.
2: Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> so. Um, one of the things I did was to establish some um, standard eye movements. And the reason for them is to be able to evaluate what we're doing. Because when EMI was developed, basically you were told to just make sure that you connect all of the accessing positions in the eye movement model, one to each other during a session. No guidance was given. So I spent about four or five years experimenting with eye movements and trying to come up with the ones that I thought would be most effective based on their ability to address what I think are the three most virulent um, aspects of trauma. The visual imagery, the emotional feelings, and the visceral feelings. If you target those and you resolve those, everything else is going to fall into place. So the eye movements that I designed kind of tailored to that kind of thinking. However, you can you know you can use any eye movements and it will be somewhat effective. It won't be as effective if you don't use this organized approach, which is multi-sensory right. and
3: multi-channel.
2: How about That's, you Joseph?
3: Yeah, what did you what's your experiences with him? Well, I can say that it has changed my whole approach to therapy, Richard. Um, wow. I mean, yes, as you know, I, I love to learn a lot of science behind different therapies and what works. And, and ever since I learned MAMI, um, guess what? I've been incorporating almost uh, all my sessions as an aspect of MAMI because I find that just using a goal, that is a key of memory. It's goal-directed uh, in terms of assessing all the different channels of how someone processes information and how they feel but being goal-directed in the movements, automatically I see a shift in the whole physiology, a shift in the cognition. And automatically I'll see without um, almost 100% of times, a relief that you go through. And even one guy was telling me that, I don't know why, but I feel very emotional, but it's good emotions. And it's okay, just allow your brain to reorganize. And we know that by doing that, the brain reorganizes information calms the amygdala, uh, sort of deactivates the amygdala, it brings back the prefrontal cortex into function. And that's when hippocampus can reorganize the information in a more holistic way. And I find that inevitably I can't but use MAMI in all my sessions now to get a mirroring hands. That's our game and entry point. Mm. Mirroring hands and then through MAMI. It works it yeah. brilliantly. Well,
1: if it, if it brings the results, you know, why, why would you do anything else if you've got something that's very effective and 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 i would imagine that the more clients that are exposed to this and have um fast and positive and uh long-lasting results you know people talk and um and then more and more people will be demanding
2: the same Mm -hmm. it's a simple procedure it is not complicated um you got four elements and you've got ways of measuring them, and that's all you need to learn to use this, as opposed to a, a complex theory about you know what's happening and, and all of that. So it's it's much simpler than what's out there right now.
3: Right. I like that. Yeah. And only add, I want to add one more thing. Be open and be curious, because if you're locked into your just this is the only way to work with someone, I think we have lost the plot. But once we're open and curious in what works and how we can help someone to really overcome a trauma, for example, guess what? The amount of good we can do in the world. And that's my one extra piece I would like to add inside
0: i think i think that's fabulous and 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 knowing Steve and, and uh, connie who continues on his work uh, the, the, they would be uh, i think very pleased with with all this process and progress and that the continual development uh uh is something that is so important and the more we do things the more we're able to investigate them and you never know someone might come and produce that fabulous fistful of dollars so that uh, the, you know, the serious <laughs> research can be done. Uh, 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 but first of all uh, if we find something that is functional and effective and has value for clients then we need to pursue it and we're we are mad not to so thank you Mike for writing this book for taking the time to extend it into the to uh to the thoughtful areas and to the to the potentials and possibilities uh so that people get a grasp and uh, and that sort of work is just something you can't pay for that just takes dedication and and we thank you very much but uh, but for now I, I think we will we will bid you a fond adieu and welcome everybody uh to look at the show notes check out the the material check out the links go in and have a look go and have a look at what uh what kim's doing in singapore it is it is a, a wonderful
1: thing to see thank you. thanks so much guys thank, thank, you. You, thank you richard Wow, Richard, that was uh, fantastic. I'm so glad that you introduced me to these new friends of yours. But
0: wasn't it interesting, Matt, how you and I were just starting to piece together the Mm. possibilities of connections? And I think this is what, well, you know, our book is all about. Uh, to bring your mind up, bring your yourself up to a knowledge base mm-hmm. where you can start to see the possible connections, where you can start to see the sense of things, because yep. it equally will help you look at some things that are brought forward and go, it's I just can't even imagine. You know what are they talking about? Uh, and I heard one the other day where they started talking ab- about stuff, and I just thought, no, that's mystical stuff it's okay mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it's not factual stuff because i know that the brain doesn't work that way and i know that whether we'll they talk about genetics as well that genetics just doesn't work that way and um that was really helpful too so it's where to put our attention and energy into and where to actually be cautious
1: and uh, and and be more perhaps more critical Absolutely. So, anyone that has been following us for any length of time, you'll have a basic understanding of memory consolidation. You've probably looked at EMDR. You would maybe even touched on brain spotting, NLP. You know all of these things together. And then when you listen to guys like this and you see how they've put things together, immediately it's, it's not it's not weird or strange or too out there. You understand the mechanisms. You understand the process. And here's a new way of packaging it together, which sounds like it's very effective.
0: Yeah, Mike's and done a beautiful growth and change, I think is, is the way we say it. Just, just as uh, Ernie with Erickson and Mary Hans and now we're moving towards our, our ideas with curiosity and client responsiveness, it's it's just so fabulous to see things grow and change.
1: Yeah. So just a reminder to everybody, so the book is Multi-Channel Eye Movement Integration, The Brain Science Path to Fast and Effective PTSD Treatment and links in the show notes as always.
0: Well, I think that's enough of us for now, Matt. We'll uh, better go off
1: and do our various stuff. Okay, fantastic. Thank you, everybody, for joining us here on the Science of Psychotherapy podcast, and we'll catch you next time. Bye for now.
0: Thanks for listening to the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. For more great science, go to thescienceofpsychotherapy.com.